<laughs> Hello, welcome to Robin and Josie's Utter Shambles this Hello. week. Hello, I'm back and uh, I intend on being back for all future podcasts. Bad luck if you're more of a fan of Michael Legg. Bad luck. Well, Michael, his take on A.A. Gill's comment on Claire Balding was very different to yours, Josie, <laughs> but we are not going to be dealing with it. I did tell him off. He failed to channel you and your righteous ire. And uh, and this is the first thing that I want to... Um, I, I should say that we're, um, we're joined by John Ronson, and uh, John is going to be... Jo- and also, as well as John, we've got John's uh, son, who uh, who is not allowed to Can talk yet. Can I just yet. say, I just made a no- noise because they brought a big load of biscuits in. That wasn't sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, it's all right. Joel's going to just lean Talking over. Joel's not allowed to talk yet because we're not sure the legal ramifications of having someone talk at his age. Because Joel's is Joel twelve now, John. Yeah, twelve. Yes, yeah, so we're not sure. So Joel's not allowed enough. to talk, but he is allowed to eat biscuits quite noisily in the background if he wants. Not overly noisy, not with affectation, but if you make noise while opening eating the biscuits, that's fine. But don't overdo it. Don't talk, Joel. Though, do not talk. Um, I think it's going to be good for the podcast to see how it fares with the preteen audience listenership. See, he laughed just then already. We're doing that's very fine. well. That kind, of, that kind of noise is good. Open the biscuits, Joel, that's fine. You can have them, don't, don't giggle, don't over, over giggle, it'll, it'll sound like can laughter. I just just take God. the biscuits, Joel, take the biscuits. Just I take whichever biscuits you want. Come on, this is taking time, there we go. <laughs> Joel's having some biscuits, he's not speaking and he will not listen if any swear words are said. If Joel, Sorry, uh, Josie John, might say some swear words. I was just going to say, I swear to God that AA girl once um, wrote that how pathetic it was uh, in like the sports personality of the year competition when everyone gave Muhammad Ali a standing ovation uh, because they only did it because he had Alzheimer's and it was like they were applauding Alzheimer's and just how pathetic that was. Now... Uh, um, he doesn't even have Alzheimer's. It's or whatever. Parkinson's. Parkinson's, Parkinson's yeah. Sorry, I meant how Parkinson's. That was how dare me. Uh, I got that bit wrong. But um, anyway, I spent I spent I spent quite a while looking for that to use it against him, um, and I couldn't find it. So it's possible that I have false memory syndrome, and I hate AA girls so much. I, I'm just imagining him being insulting towards Muhammad Ali. But I that's think... better than some false memory syndromes. I mean, the, the fact that you suddenly had a false memory of your father involving you in some kind of, you know, sexual, satanic shenanigans, that can be very damaging. To misremember columnists' acerbic words is, oh, it's all just come back to me. I remember what David Aranovich wrote now. It was horrifying, horrifying. <laughs> you should try and bait him. You should send him an email and be like, don't you think, what do you think of people giving Muhammad Ali? I did bait him once uh, by email. Well, before John Diamond died, you know, John Diamond, the... Uh, uh, the, the writer who died of cancer is married to Nigella Lawson. Well, right. he sent everybody like an email, like saying I'm dying and like making jokes and stuff. Uh, and anyway, AA Gill was on his. You know, he didn't. He didn't BCC. It was all CC. Which is fair enough if you're going to die. Yeah. People can't bring you up on that. So I, um, uh, I saw that AA Gill's email was on there. So I emailed him, and, and the week earlier, AA Gill had written this review that said, if you see John Ronson walking down the street, punch him in the face. Um, so. I wrote Eagle an email. Well, I thought so. Again, I might be misremembering. He might have said... If you've ever seen Stephanie Powers, hasn't she got wonderful hair? But I read it <laughs> as my name and a vicious attack. I love the idea that whenever you read A.A. Gill, you just read what you want to read. <laughs> well, anyway, I, I see this column's about me again. It's really not. It's about EastEnders. It's about me. Yeah. Well, I emailed A.A. Gill and I said, 
uh, I've got your address now, like as a little joke, or like I know where you live or something. Um, but it's a joke. Anyway, a couple of months later, uh, I was playing poker and, uh, and, uh, and Giles Cohen came up to me and said that Eagle had contacted him to say, John Ronson emailed me a really creepy email saying, I know where you live. <laughs> creepy. <laughs> God, I hate that man. Now, did he? Did Giles Corrin say that, or did he say something about the barbecue? I can't remember. Speaking I like of, the idea that we can't a... trust a word. This is the thing that no, the listeners don't know. Is John Ronson is not a regular drinker. But downstairs in the foyer, when we were waiting, all reception. It's a reception stroke foyer. Uh, do, you want, do you know what I fancy a bit? He's about what? What would you say, Josie? You're good on measurement. That's about what one sixth I of the way through the bed. I'd say a third. I'd say, no, I wouldn't say it's a third. Okay, I'd say um, a fifth. I would say from so a quarter, far, a his misremembered A.A. Gill anecdotes, mm-hmm. I'm expecting shanties before the end of this podcast. <laughs> now um, we're talking about false memory syndrome, by the way. You know the big, the Bible of, of like recovered memory, of like incest survivor, mm-hmm. uh, is a book called A, a Courage to Heal. And it says at the beginning of the book, if you've bought this book, it probably means you've been abused, even if you don't remember that you have. Wow. I know. It's incredible. That whole That's thing is... I, I do love it when, when psychiatrists and, and, uh, and also neuroscientists go, the, the truth is, if you really were in a situation where you saw five of your best friends um, killed with the horns of a recently decapita- decapitated goat... Uh, and then your father dancing around naked with all his best friends who live in the area, that the brain does not have the ability to entirely erase that for 20 years until suddenly it just pops back. Memory doesn't... There's there's still an inkling of that moment. Yeah. But there we are. I think I'm going to start... If I ever write an autobiography, I'm going to open with that line. Just like, if you've bought this book, you've probably been a view. You've probably seen Josie Long. <laughs> it's been a good start. Because then people, have, you know, give it a, a good, like, frisson of confusion and terror. And then as they read about my suburban upbringing. <laughs> I've just, I've had about 12 coffees today. I've come down from Aberdeen. If you bought this so. book, more than likely, you probably know Swanley quite well and <laughs> other areas in Kent. Um, the uh, This is a quick thing that I wanted to ask before uh, we get on to... Uh, I have uh, a certain level of confusion, which is... Today I said something. You know when you say something and people go, Oh, who said that? And you go, me, I think. I think that's me. And they go... Mm-hmm. And that kind of thing, go, the likelihood of you managing to... to say an eloquent yeah, thing. Anything at all. And all I said was, I, I have to say that the problem with books is that people find them easier to burn than they do to read. I think that was approximately it. Oh yeah, that was. I and, saw that. Yeah. And someone, uh, that was it. The problem with books is that they're easier to burn than they are to read. And various people went, "Oh, who said that?" Now, I think I did say that. I certainly have said that. And as far as I know, that is a thing. That, but does anyone know that from the past? Have I stolen it from anyone? Have I been like Oscar Wilde, purloining well, from William thing, Morris? The only thing I would think of would be Fahrenheit four five one, but it's hmm. there's nothing in Fahrenheit four five one that's that specific. Or Goebbels. <laughs> Gerbils, yeah, that's, that wouldn't be uh, the problem. We'd be like the great thing about books. <laughs> that is that is my trouble. Is every now and again I say something pithy in the pub and everyone turns to me and I go, "It was Gerbils, wasn't it?" <laughs> and uh, oh, God, Eichmann on trial. Anyway, so John, you're an author. Josie, you're going to be an author. Uh, you've got a, a book coming out. <laughs> we're all going to be author. Well, yeah. you're the rest of us. We're, we're all, you're already an author. Yeah, I've got. A, yeah, the um, but I've I've started this thing to. Uh, I, I'm trying to get rid of as many books as possible. Uh, and DVDs and things like that and because I love books but I also every time that I sit go on Josie if your next sentence is so I've started a big smoky fire I'll be furious (laughs) the um, no I haven't I'm not going to burn them yet 
the uh, I don't think I've ever burnt a book, uh, even by accident. But I, what I've done is I've done this thing, chapter one, where I read, the, I read, I either watch chapter one of the DVD. I watch mm-hmm. one, the first chapter of it, not including opening credits. If I open credits, chapter one, I go as far as chapter two, obviously, and uh, read chapter one of a book every day. And I then have to make a decision as to whether I keep the book or whether I then leave the book on a bench or in the zoo or wherever it may be. Is to be, now this is um, a lot of people say this is a ridiculous idea. Now mm-hmm. the reason is no, most of the books. Are are good books they're not the rubbish books that I've written about in the past they are proper books that I'm really you know that thing you know when you're interested in everything and you go I don't have any books about the pioneers yeah. of modern architectural design and this PDSA copy is 25 pence so I need to have it and then it's there and it's there and it's there and 10 years have passed and you go I still haven't read it I really want to read it but there's all these books building up mm. so I mean that book for instance I have actually I started reading it it's brilliant so I'm going to keep that but from Russia with love I've had for 26 years and I read the first chapter of that. I don't need to read a James Bond book. I haven't read some Dostoevsky. So I read the first chapter of that, which is just a bizarre... I don't know if you've, have, you, have you read any Bond novels? No. Oh, yeah, I did. I read Goldfinger. Well, it seems to be like American Psycho. It's all product placement. It's like yeah. the films. Well, but- you know, I, recreate, I was asked to recreate it. I was asked to recreate a great uh, a great journey, and, and, I, and it was in Goldfinger. It was, he, he drove from London through to... Uh, to Latouke and then down to um, oh gosh I can't remember it ended up in Geneva and I and I recreated the whole journey to see what it would be like to actually do it in real life and and the answer is it's just like massive flatulence because he, he stops off, he's in his Aston Martin and he stops off like at a restaurant and just eats a huge amount of food and then <laughs> drinks loads and then get, gets back in his car and carries on driving and I swear to God it was horrible I was, I was oh God you're spending a whole time going <laughs> yeah it was disgusting, I was, I was drunk um, and <laughs> Well, you kind of driven because that's the thing is that he is in the books. He's he's in, constantly intoxicated. Mm. I mean, the one thing is I didn't get because it was only chapter one. I didn't get as far as the melancholy because James Bond isn't in chapter one of From Russia with Love. It's a, a man lying naked. He's, he's very muscular. It just keeps going about. Well, muscles. Sorry, what book is this? From Russia with Love, and he's hot. His <laughs> buns are on fire, and uh, and so there's this. Uh, so there's about. Uh, page description of the things he's taken off to get naked an expensive watch and he's got an expensive thing and an expensive top so I thought I'm sure the Bond novels are, are, are good and interesting but I can afford to get rid of that and in the same way my DVD of She Creature uh, in which Rufus Saul plays an Irish circus barker who uh, discovers a man who knows a mermaid that may well be psychotic uh, I decided after chapter one of that I didn't need any psychotic mermaid films now is this an entirely irrational way of somehow cutting down my library of DVDs and uh... well you know a lot of first chapters are rubbish right and books take a few chapters mm. to get into them mm. so i'm not sure that i'm in favor of your of your uh, idea See, the problem is, I literally don't... I, I've worked out, you know, if you've ever looked along... If you've looked at your bookshelves and you've gone, I've realised now that I don't have enough time in my life. I can actually look along these shelves and mark out, if I read those books in order, I would die on that shelf. That's the point where I die of old age. So I have to have what if you quite an hip? irrational system. What if you break your hip? That'll buy you at least three extra bits. You have to factor in periods of the, it, Right. Illness. The problem is never going to arise that I've got rid of too many books <laughs> and I've only got seven left. This is not an issue. If my house was destroyed, if all the bricks fell apart, the framework of books within it would still keep it as a structure, right? This yeah. is not... So I've got to... Yeah. What's another system then? Well, I, I was thinking, I suppose you do. People do have this kind of, you know, they do put books on pedestals in a way that you don't put magazines on pedestals, mm. for instance. You know. That it's said, just... why can't I get rid of my copies of Adbusters? I always buy Adbusters. I don't need Adbusters. 
That's quite nice to peruse. It's nice to peruse. I don't need spare perusing things. Every week I buy more peruse-based things. I've, I've even got reading and perusing. I'm inundated. Um, I am not going to tell you about a new discovery, which is called the internet. Um, because I'm just is sorry. this this big library that's kept in a screen? It isn't. Oh, I don't want it's that. In a little mailbox. No. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not firing an all cylinders. You've had twelve that. coffees, but you've now hit a coffee low. I have. John. So, what is the solution? <laughs> How can I get rid of some of these books? They're, they're brilliant books. Yeah. I'm not going to get rid of the men who stare at goats. Could you no. employ a proxy reader, like someone that you trusted, to go through some of them and be like a an intern. Yeah. I didn't even trust my mother to support me before I'd learnt to swim in the shallow end of a pool. <laughs> I find some stranger who is going to... I'm going to trust their opinion? No, 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 no. I met two women who did that job for Stanley Kubrick for 25 years. They, oh, they, wow. They, they read everything, but they weren't allowed to know who they were doing it for. So for 25 years, they didn't know who they were reading for. They knew it was somebody special, but they didn't know who. Uh and it was, and I, and I, and I got to read a lot of the summaries of the books, and every single book, when summarised, just makes it seem shit. Uh, it's all things like, you know, uh, four teenagers on a quest for some golden worms enter a portal, uh, find a horse and a girlfriend. That I've got it. We're going to come back to Kubrick <laughs> because you did a thing about Kubrick. Didn't uh, well, you? I don't think it ever got made into a film. I think it was rejected as being a, as being a crap film. Right. Um, now, you said chapter one's difficult, right? So I've mm. got this idea. What if I have two dice right. and I throw the dice and whatever right. they equal, I read that chapter of that book. So I just go in by sheer chance, a kind of, a, it's not in a Luke Reinhardt way that's been done to death, but it doesn't have why. to be dice, could be a spinning wheel. Joel, what do you think? Don't actually answer, but as a young man with a lot of ideas, just a spinning wheel or dice. Shake the biscuits if you think that it's dice. Don't shake the biscuits if you think it's a spinning wheel. Right, okay. Spinning wheel. Okay, so I'm using some kind of wheel, some kind of tombola thing. What about that? Yeah, you can do that. I think for a man who's You don't up... sound like you're behind this idea. Think, as an author, <laughs> what you need is people like me who don't mm. stop buying books. I'm, I tell you what, I'm worried about um, your, your whole first chapter thing, though, because I've got this book coming out next year where, where, the, where my first chapter is quite odd. Uh, and I'm thinking, and I think it's great, but it is a bit odd. And I'm thinking, my God, I don't want this whole two years of work to be judged on this first mm. chapter, which is deliberately a little odd. Oh, look, as if you... Ca the people have bought the book to read the first chapter. I'm not perusing these in shops. Uh. You've already got their money. Do you care if they actually read your work? You're a man just motivated by, you know, quirky <laughs> ideas that will keep that enormous chest of wealth for you. Mm. Aren't you? You're not the first person to say that. To someone me. actually <laughs> said that. Yeah, someone did say that to me once. Really? Yeah. But that's one thing that, that I find friend. with your books, though. That oh, really? You... Yeah, a former friend said that to me. Pretty much those exact words. But that's what I now I feel bad about that, yeah. and and I'm worried that I might actually deep within me without knowing it. That, that is actually what I really think because I'm thinking that and at the same time I'm remembering there was my dad and there was a water buffalo and he, he opened the water buffalo up and he put all the children inside the water buffalo all my best friends from our, our local village and then he cooked the water buffalo and I could just hear the screams of my. I think that's I think that really happened well speaking awesome. of false memory syndrome can I tell you where I've been this week yes uh, I've been with uh, Ray Gosling 
Um, oh, I've spent, brilliant. I've, yeah, and brilliant he, journey. he, and that, I mean, he's a complete genius and, and, you know, was one of my great inspirations when I was starting out. But he, he, he hit a bad patch this year, which I don't know if you know about. Yes. Yeah. You, well, can you tell, a lot of people probably won't know about this, so okay. you, if you could tell them I've about written it. all of this, is all going to be in tomorrow's Guardian, um, if you're listening on the day this podcast comes out. Um, if not, ring a friend, have they got last Saturday's Guardian? Exactly. Uh, okay, so he's a, he's a great, great documentary maker uh, used to, he was one of the very first people to sort of celebrate ordinariness mm. so he made a documentary about Leicester you know, called Two Town Mad which was just brilliant and uh, anyway but he had a rough patch this year where he announced on his uh, programme Inside Out uh, yeah. Yeah, that he'd uh, mercy killed his, his, his lover uh, uh, 16 years earlier he'd smothered him with a pillow he was dying, dying of AIDS and so he got arrested on suspicion of murder and then um, after six months uh, the police announced that they were going to prosecute him for wasting police time because he hadn't actually killed anyone um, and, it, and it was false well I mean he said it was false memory syn- syndrome so I went to so I spent the day with him a couple of days ago um, I mean I still contend that you would remember if you'd killed someone or not I mean he said where were you 16 years ago in the Jewish Lads Brigade and I said yeah but and if I'd killed someone in the Jewish Lads Brigade I would definitely be a big deal yeah but um, uh, but, but, but he says that he had convinced himself that it actually had happened. So he'd see basically the... I mean, see, I could believe that. I, I, I think that's a different kind of false memory. It's almost like when, if you have... I remember when I was riding my bicycle really, really stupidly and then I hit a big curb and I fell off and I grazed on my arm and it was all bloody. And then I had this moment and I was walking back and I thought, oh, I've broken the bicycle as well. And it was a new, it was a new second-hand bicycle because I'm from that form of middle-class black-and-white television, new second-hand things, uh, my sister's hats. Uh, and... Uh, th- by the time I got home, wheeling it back from Little Chalfont, I had persuaded this this stupid cat, this stupid bloody cat that had come just right out. And so when I actually told my mum about that, I, I could see that cat that had, and in that way, but that's very much your control because you're making up the fiction. Yeah. If you see what I mean, that there's, well, I don't know if that's the right way of saying it, but if you see what I mean, where... Um, in the same way that obviously he might have seen uh, the, the pain that his love was going through, that he then... Something that he wished he could have done. Mm. Now, um, we're going to hand over now. I need to go and reach for some biscuits. So I'm not going to present the next bit of the show. Okay. I'm going to hand over to Joel, who's going to present the show, and he's going to interview... Uh, well, not interview, it's just a chat, Joel. If you could just lead it now. Uh, <laughs> Am with, I allowed uh, to me? talk? You're allowed to talk now. <gasps> That's why you're having the biscuits removed. The biscuits were your talking device. If, right. if, if Helen Keller, her story <laughs> was fictional and had been created by McVitie's, this is the narrative it would have been, communication through that. Um, so, yeah, you're in charge, Joel, now. Just, just you, you lead the way. Right. Um, right. So, so, Josie, where were you from? I, 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 um, I identify a, uh, accent from Kent very good yeah I'm from Alpington in Kent are you serious uh, <laughs> yeah 100% oh my god oh I did that well <laughs> and uh, did you did you grow up did in London it flowing brilliantly have you guys always lived in London <laughs> do you have you oh don't oh, oh Josie sorry just to talk about him don't mm. link Joel and John because ah. people think that um, John only got on the show because of nepotism so <laughs> just make sure that they are separate they're separate personalities um, I, I thought, have we always lived in Islington? Yeah, have you always lived in no, Islington? No, not anymore. We um we used to, but we've uh, moved to Highgate now. Oh, I 
fried yeah. by the pond. Yeah. We've been swimming in the ponds. Yeah. I really want to go all winter. I'm going to start going to Tooting Bat Lodge. I've got really, really into swimming outdoors for the cold of it. Yeah. I get really invigorated. But in winter, it won't it be a bit cold? But that's what I want. I, I like it. I got really... I was, I was swimming in Scotland and I, got, I was on my own and I was so invigorated I started shouting, I'm like an otter! I'm like an otter! And it was really good. And then, I own, like it, right? it burns. Yeah. It like, it sort of burns your whole body and you feel really you're like, oh, but you like oh, that. No. Josie, good. you're going to be like one of them quirky women we see every Christmas in the Serpentine. You know those things where poor children go, is that awful 97 year old in that swimming That's costume? That's what I'm going to be like. Oh, no. I'm just swimming, taking the air, not getting my head wet. Be brilliant. This is what being British is all about. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I don't think that's what you're going to turn Plagiar into. Also Little Nazi, that's what you're going to turn into. Little Nazi likes Listen cold water. It's the love of cold water that leads to fascism. Every phase of my life, I'm going to be like a different Mitford sister. And I'm just coming out of the... Hang on, which one's the communist? Jessica. And I'm just going into unity. Mm. And then I'll be out via Don't Diana. Don't do unity end up second. In that because that requires your own personal Shooting lobotomy. myself in the head. Yeah. See, I never realised about... You, you, I'm sure, know all about the, uh, the... But I saw some footage on some documentary when it was the fact Unity Mitford was... Uh, she, she rather... She adored Hitler, basically, didn't she? She, mm. she thought Hitler she was, was fantastic. She was a big fan. Um, they had that thing that she shot herself in the head, attempted to suicide but then I actually saw the footage and it was on the Pathé newsreel mm. what well, her shooting herself yeah, in no, the head no after her yeah, being carried a stretcher but she wasn't that well, it was like she must have had terrible aim who did uh, Unity because Mitford. she just looks like someone who's gone I missed that a woman from Basically, the 1930s she loves Hitler there's this family the Mitfords and there were the five or six sisters and one brother and of the family Mitford <laughs> they were all really <laughs> unusual in their own right and they, they were had names strident. who said didn't they they all called themselves oh, yeah, Babby like, and Dobby and Mebby yeah, yeah. and, right. and um, Nancy Mitford is possibly Nancy Mitford is probably the most famous and she was a novelist and then they were all like really different politically so some of them were Nazis and some of them were communists but they'd all still hang out at Christmas and be like oh well, you Scrabble. would say that you idiot and um, <laughs> uh, yeah and, and uh, um, one of them is of course still alive the yeah, Duchess of Devonshire the one that created the least trouble lived the longest but the least trouble and the most wonderful herb garden <laughs> if you've ever been there she lives in um, what's that wonderful uh, place near where if you buy Bakewell tarts that's Bakewell then you go straight on and you'll find her lovely house so anyway, how do we get to Mitford? So you you want to be a Mitford? No, this is your well, like each I, one of the Mitfords. Whenever I go swimming in Highgate in Highgate ponds, I think that I'm one of the Mitfords. And me and my friends went, and there were three of us, and um, we were all in the ladies' ponds, and we all got a bit over overexcited. And um, yeah, is the ladies' ponds in the way that the men's ponds? It's not a sex. Place, okay, because no. the men's ponds it can be yeah, quite it heavy. It's the ladies' one. The ladies' well, one, there's a bit of scoping out, I've noticed, but it's a lot more refined. It's a lot more just lolling, relaxing. There's, oh, no, there's not like a special cruising. area like there no. is in the men's pond. Yeah, it's in not, the men's ponds, uh, there's the uh, naked changing room. Yeah. No, the naked uh, sunbathing place. We always wow. look, me and Joel, when we go, we always have a little peek. Yeah. <laughs> That's a nice father and son activity, isn't it? That's, it's charming. Yeah. I remember years ago with a friend of mine who's, who's um, partner, she I always am. went. Taking you into pool. care. <laughs> Sorry. A friend of mine's uh, partner. She always went to the women's pool, and I used to being a being childish and a teenager. I used to go, Whoa, watch out for that. You know, Whoa, always going to the women's pool. You know that kind of thing. And then when she came out as a lesbian and the relationship ended, I felt that my childishness had, uh, well, in many ways, not helped. 
But there we go. We'll probably cut that bit out. He might be listening to this. Can I tell you, by the way, the the the, the saddest thing of my day with Ray Gosling? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he thought, because you know, his confession uh, of of Mercy killing his lover was just on his own program in the East Midlands. It was BBC East Midlands um, program called Inside Out. And he was convinced that because he had such a close personal bond with the people of East of the East Midlands, that none of them, like if he made the confession on television, which he did, none of them would spill the beans to anyone outside of the region. <laughs> I said I thought he had excessive trust in the people of the East Midlands. Yeah, that's quite. And also, like you have to appreciate that these things can be streamed online anywhere in the world. Like yeah. radio isn't really a secret medium. <laughs> It's not like a message in a bottle. It wasn't radio, it was television. Yeah, television. Oh, it was actually... Oh, sorry, yeah. sorry. He said the only reason why anybody ever knew about it was because someone from BBC East Midlands told somebody from White City. Because everyone else would have kept everyone still would have kept Nottingham. Still, yeah. <laughs> Who would you keep a secret for if you're watching, you're watching TV, it's late at night, it's regional television, it's someone that you have grown up with, mm. maybe a newscast or someone who did a programme about rural interests in They've your area. To murder. They They... they <laughs> It doesn't have to be a murder. Uh, it's, it's something which you think they probably want that as a secret just between us and Kent, Surrey, whatever it may be. Who would be the presenter? They don't actually have to have been in your region, but a presenter who admits to something and you think, let's not mention that, but, let's keep it quiet. But if they're on TV, they can't really um, keep a secret between two people. No, but let's say the whole of that county, if you if imagine... you were going to rouse And you think, whole... who would you... I, I'm, let, the you think, I'm probably viewer. the only one watching this. I'm the Anton only Deck. viewer. Yeah, no. you would keep a murderous secret for Ant and Deck. Yeah. Ant and Deck are great. What? Yeah. They are good. Ant Lorraine Deck. Kelly, Firm Britain, perhaps. Lorraine Kelly, yeah. Lorraine Kelly's an enormous fan of Carl Sagan. Ah, oh, I tell you what, everybody. This morning I shot a man in the face. <laughs> Don't tell a soul. Promise me you won't tell a soul. She wouldn't even need to say that bit. You would say, that's Lorraine Kelly, we won't tell a soul. <laughs> Ant and Deck, on the other hand... I think no. Oh, good morning, pet. I shot a man in. <laughs> Who's that? That was oh no, Cheryl that's Cole. Geordie. Cheryl Cole. Yeah, that's you wouldn't keep a secret with Cheryl. That's where We've discovered that secrets yeah. are not kept for Cheryl Cole but, some years but what, ago. What um, what Joe would Cheryl Cole confess on? The X Factor. <laughs> She's already. <laughs> she um, I have no idea. Okay, here's a question: Which presenters would you? falsely accuse Ooh. of confessing to a murder okay Matthew Wright easy people oh, believe careful. it careful I'm doing something with Matthew Wright last week because I've just realised it's actually tomorrow but it'll be last week um, Davina oh uh, no, no not no, Davina McGall Davina may be a tiny bit annoying but you know she's nice she's I, nice I, inside <laughs> I, I tell you do you know can I just say if Lauren Laverne admitted to murder I'd cover for her mm. I'd cover for her any day of the week but let's go the other way round what if right, I, I think I'd cover for Simon Mayo. He's covered for Mayo. I'd cover for Mayo. Yeah, <laughs> I admire him, and this I'd is cover for him. a great game. Yeah, Simon Mayo. You're right, actually, about Simon Mayo. <laughs> what about Steve Wright? I'd frame him for murder. Oh, how about that oh. lemon guy? What's he called? Keith Lemon. I'm not would familiar with Keith Lemon. Keith Lemon. He's sort of a character. He does. No, Keith, Keith Lemon. Lemon. No, he's fictional, so uh, we can't count him. Oh, I. I tell you who I'd frame. He's played by what's his name from? Yeah. Uh, I'd frame Stephen Nolan. I don't know who that is. Uh, Radio 5, uh, Saturday and Sunday nights. <gasps> oh, hang oh. on, sorry, I'd forgotten about John Gaunt. Oh, yeah. Anyway, oh. there we are, that's Chris that Chris Moyles. 
Oh, Chris Moyles. He's no, do you know what? I think Chris Moyles ultimately means to be kind. Does he? I think he's one of those people who underneath it all means to be kind, but as he's being kind, he kills the pets by mistake. He's that kind of person. No, he's not, don't know you I was just trying to be kind, but they're all broken now. Deliberately use your force. I'm feeling yeah. bad about saying Davina. I've completely mm. done a U-turn about Davina. I would not. I, I would protect Davina. No, no, no. Well, don't don't keep that second bit in. Cut, don't <laughs> keep that second bit in. I right? really like Davina. I like Davina. I think Do she's you? Cool. Yeah, I didn't at first because I used to compare her unfairly with Anton Deck, but that was wrong. Yeah. So I think yeah, I definitely go John Gaunt. So I'm I'm going to have John Gaunt, mm-hmm. who's on. Uh, who are you going to have, Josie? Who you're, oh, you're, oh, you're framing oh, for I know murder. my friend, uh, Carol McGiffin off of Loose Women, who's oh, officially she's, my least favourite. Really, she's an old she's an old pal of mine. I mean, I've not seen mm. her in, oh, in many very years. Very awkward. But <laughs> I'm sorry, I just find her very yeah. sort of stridently anti-feminist. I mean, I can't. I don't know because I've not seen him in like sort of ten years. But ten years ago, we got on well. Me and Carl McGiffin. Again, I think out. she yeah, means to be happened? kind. She killed someone, and you had to part ways. I thought she was funny. Maybe she, gave, she means she to be kind. Sorry, Carl McGiffin. When when Chris Evans, who she was once married to, um, mm. remarried Billy Piper, they, they went to Carl McGiffin for a comment, like the tabloids. And, and, what did she and, say? I, and I've always loved. Was her she quite since. nice. No, her comment was, "I couldn't give a flying fuck." Ha! So I've always liked her since since. Oh my since god, Jedi has adopted. Yeah, Lee Joel, you weren't meant to admit you were in the room. I was <laughs> no. then gonna say Lucky Joel had walked out when his dad was making a show of himself all drunk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, oh, this is a disaster. Oh, Have some no, he's gonna drive you home biscuits. in the Alpha Romeo. Um, anyway, but uh sorry Josie, you were gonna say a thing. Um I can't remember. Doesn't. So I've got a lot of energy today. Oh, I'm really into I've, it. I'm, uh, sorry, I'm so boring. It's really interesting. No, I've had a, I've had a lot of biscuits and I haven't really. But that's all but I've eaten. But also, you've given Robin's given up smoking, drinking, and coffee. Right. Uh, so he's sort of mainlining diet coke. And you think that a man is. Shh, don't up say that. Mark Thomas might hear this. Mainlining <laughs> non-brand. Ubuntu. Yeah. It was the only thing that was available downstairs in the fridge here. Oh, this, well, that's this... all right not to have principles then, isn't it? It's already been bought, <laughs> hasn't it? That's why sometimes I eat veal. Mm. If it just happens to be lying in a bin, it's already been killed. <laughs> a little while ago, I was sitting outside Starbucks and um, Rob Newman walked past. And, oh, he, gave, and he, he gave me such a lot. Oh, well. He's a, he's, well, he gave me this oh, look to say, um, not you as well. No, do you know Why? what, though? What about it? Oh, he's against, he's against it, yeah. Why? What, what's this Because they took what's ours. They took sweet little coffee shops and corporatised yeah. them. Basically, in, you know, you have like I, a I know about everywhere. the uh, Starbucks thing. <laughs> but Starbucks are... Uh, Sell some nice stuff. And they do sell hey, some Hey, hey, the naivety stuff. of youth. But <laughs> yeah, I, as a Stalinist, wish Joel stuff. to be removed from the programme and any pictures of the programme will have Joel in the middle but just badly erased, <laughs> as if you're the kind of person who worked on the eugenics of wheat. Anyway, the... Um, <laughs> But I know at Starbucks. I remember sitting, the first time I went to Starbucks was in Philadelphia in 1997, and I didn't know that it was 1998. And it was my first experience of it. I mean, and you go in and you go, "Wow, what a brilliant place! This mm. looks so comfortable." And then a few years later, you go, "Oh no, this beautiful thing!" Like like in one of those science fiction things where they find a lovely pet, it's a, or even Gremlins. Isn't this <laughs> thing wonderful? The one thing with Starbucks though is, do not feed Starbucks after midnight. 
Oh, no. Now it's everywhere. No, but for Rob Newman, just so you know, uh, a friend of mine was... uh, Rob Newman toured with... uh, Robert Newman uh, toured with Mark Thomas. And uh, at one point... That is a winning tour. But at one point, the tour manager went in and uh, Rob Newman was just eating a Kit Kat made by Nestle Mm. in the dressing room. And he just went, oh! (laughs) And he just... And he looked really... I suppose he looked really... and, and, and And he went, oh, don't tell anyone, but I just love them so much. But I think so. <laughs> I think his disparaging look of your coffee fascism mm-hmm. in the end. The thing is, it's always people who are trying already that hector themselves the most for mm. small slip-ups. Like, it'll be Rob Newman who spends two hours being like, oh, I can't believe I had a bloody kick I'm such a shit. But who, <laughs> you know, is single, toured around America on trains so that he didn't use any carbon and has written these fantastic shows to try and educate people about uh, climate change and really important things. And then, you know... Well, that's what I was saying about in, in my last like, show. I did this thing about the fact that if you are, if the moment you are deemed to be on the left, the problem is it only takes the tiniest mistake, not even a mistake. You are not allowed to anything that seems to deviate from some kind of socialist agenda means that everything you believe in falls flat and is even though the, the majority of the press has no true morality, it will swing whatever. But it's I, I have this if thing you're about joining I, with any of the systems that you disagree with because you have to otherwise. Not even that. You're, you're, you're eating a fair trade chocolate bar and someone says it was next to an Nestle bar, so you might as well bought that. You're part of the system. And you go, I don't understand. And I, my, my end point, I'll bring this up was I then just went, if you're on the right, you can do anything. Or if you're on the right, you can have sex with the last panda bear alive, right? You can just be <laughs> having sex with it in the eye and you can just say, look at me, look at me, I'm killing this panda bear, I'm killing this panda bear with my cock, look at me, I'm A.A. Gill. Well, he shot a baboon just, <laughs> yeah, to, just to see that. it die. That's, that's, he that's did the... do that, didn't he? Yeah, he did. I shot yeah. a baboon in Reno just to see it yeah. die. What a beautiful Johnny Because he wanted to know, and this is what it would be like. What it's like to kill a human. Exactly, that's what he wrote. Who wants to know what it's like to kill a human? You know what? Do you know who wants to know what it's like to kill a human? A.A. Gill. A psychopath. <laughs> is that really true? Is that like yeah, a thing? Yeah, that's the thing. It's like curiosity. But I thought it's he was the same a Quaker. thing that makes them. Uh, yeah, but you know, Quakers are the best. Quakers, Quakers are the kindest. His, uh, oh, Quakers, Quakers are his, his, um, that's you know, that's his front. Oh, because I generally, it's I'll tell you what, Quakers Quaker. are. He's not a true Quaker. He never shuts up. I've never yeah, seen him exactly. on a peace march. Go quiet for ten minutes march. and he called himself a Quaker. <laughs> hey, I'll tell you what, though. One time I was in a hotel in uh, Bournemouth and there was a pond. There was like a big indoor pond with these giant carp, giant goldfish. And one of them was floating at the top of the pond. And I thought, I wonder if it's dead. And I was like fixating on trying to work out whether it was dead or whether it just needed like some help going back under. Um, so I got a stick and I sort of very tentatively and very gently prodded it and at the moment of the prodding Diane Abbott walked in and yelled get away from that goldfish and she thought so to (laughs) this day yeah to this day of the week to this day Diane Abbott thinks that some guy was torturing a goldfish she was thinking oh bloody John John Ronson Torches goldfish. She probably thought I was like, "Hey, girl, she with went, the baboons." I wanted to poke. Dead. I wanted to. Yeah, I did. I, you know, I wanted to poke a goldfish. Just to know what it'd be like to poke a human. Welcome, <laughs> 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 well, you and um, Diane Abbott were in the same hotel. I don't know. I was doing some filming, and she was probably there for some kind of conference. Well, and how come you didn't just go? Uh, no, it's dead. I, why, why not explain yourself? I was, I was, you I was frozen. Created a farcical situation, <laughs> probably for one of your books. <laughs> I poke goldfish. The many poke at goldfish. It was one of those situations where you just can't say the thing you ought to say. 
<laughs> you just can't. You're just frozen. You're just frozen. It's it's like it's like Larry David writes your life for you. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not. It doesn't make me happy. I am. Um, the I final ten minutes of the show will be the bloopers reel <laughs> from John Ronson's life. <laughs> we, I know we can't fit it all into ten minutes, but nevertheless, yeah. we'll give it a go. I but no, yeah, no. But the answer to your question is, why did a girl want to kill a baboon to, to know what it'd be like to kill a person? It's it's right there on the psychopath checklist. That is. <laughs> Wait, did he right write there. about it? Did I write about it? No, did A. A. Gill? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did. So he didn't. He didn't do it secretly. No, he wrote about it in his column. Uh, the following I'm week. Not. Oh dear. Where did he go to shoot oh a Um The Serengeti or something like that. Oh, so. A.A. Gill is such a dick. A.A. Yeah. Gill is a dick. He is a dick. <laughs> he is. He is. He is. So if you were going to dress up a TV presenter as a baboon <laughs> and leave <laughs> it in A.A. Gill's garden, yeah. which TV presenter would you dress up as a baboon? <laughs> Stephen Nolan. Still Stephen Nolan. <laughs> I'm what a girl. I'm a Quaker. Are you? Well, I've eaten a lot of porridge. <laughs> the, uh, I know Edward Fox. It's a different fox. Is it James Fox? George Fox Quakers? started the Quakers, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Sorry, James Fox, though, did, uh, but was involved in uh, Christians in... Oh, look, this is getting ridiculous. <laughs> um, we've only got about two minutes left. And, oh. Uh, John, oh. you have you did a documentary about Stanley Kubrick. Mm. Uh can you tell me a bit about that? Because I want to. Because I, I, I met um, Katrina Kubrick comes down oh, to Katrina. the local uh, comedy club that She's I play at. Oh, really? And she? apparently, she actually uh, designed the teeth for Jaws in Spy Who Loved Me. Did she? Apparently, yeah. Didn't she that. didn't mention that. I found that out. She went to the. She wasn't showing about it. Now. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh my god. I uh, yeah. Basically, I get a call out of the blue. I mean, how long have I got? I'll, I'll you start, start and then when they wave too much that's fine okay I, I got a call out of the blue this is like going back years and years like mid 90s I'd made this documentary called <coughs> Hotel Auschwitz about the marketing of the concentration camp and I got a call out of the blue from this posh man who said oh, my employer would like a copy of Hotel Auschwitz and I said who's your employer and he said I can't tell you and I said oh go on Okay, Stanley Kubrick, but don't tell anyone I said. Is uh, that how undercover journalism works? Right, yeah. Well, I get a lot of scoops by going, oh, go on. Go on. Oh, look, I'm going to tell you then. Right. <laughs> and um, and I got very excited, and I thought, God, I'm going to get invited to his mysterious mansion in Hertfordshire, which everyone knew about, but nobody had ever seen, and nobody had seen him. You know, he was, the, the, you know, at that point, there hadn't been a photograph of him published for 16 years. Back when you could be a proper recluse before the internet. Absolutely. For and, Google and, Earth. Yeah. <laughs> and um, anyway, instead of anything happening after that, nothing happened and oh. he died. And then um, shortly afterwards, the same posh man phoned me again and said, would you like to come up to the house for lunch? Um, so I went up to Kubrick's house and it was like, it was this giant mansion and like completely like, I mean, at the time, it was quite decrepit, you know. There was no... it was There was, like, holes in the ceilings like and... grey gardens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And boxes everywhere. There was a thousand boxes, like, everywhere. Um, and I told my wife... I got home and I told my wife, and she said, well, you've got to phone him up and see if he can go through the boxes. Yeah. So I phoned him up and I said, can I do that? And I spent on and off uh, probably about seven or eight years going up wow. every every few months you know for a day or two uh, just looking through Stanley Kubrick's boxes and I, I wrote a piece about it for The Guardian called Citizen Kubrick and then eventually we made a film called uh, Stanley Kubrick's Boxes it was, it was going to be called Citizen Kubrick and then um, the lawyers kind of mysterious like, we finished the film and, and like, you know the Kubrick family had seen it and they all loved it and approved it and everything and then I finished the film and I got a call from uh, Stanley Kubrick's brother-in-law and I said, oh, Jan, it's funny that you should phone now. Uh, I've just finished the film. 
uh, we'd literally finished the second, we'd just finished the grade. And he went, uh, he said, well, uh, you're not going to be happy. And I said, why? Because Phil Grotz has seen the film and he doesn't like it. And I said, who's Phil Grotz? And Phil Grotz was like a lawyer in Minneapolis who was like involved. And Phil Grotz hated the film and thought that I was portraying Stanley Kubrick as like some sort of, you know, Howard Hughes figure. Uh, so anyway, we had this like weekend of like chaotic, angry emails, and one of the provisions was that we had to change the name from Citizen Kubrick to Stanley Kubrick's Boxes. Oh, Citizen was just, Kubrick is a better name. I thought so. I was just absurd. I mean, he thought I was like calling it Citizen Kubrick because I wanted to portray Kubrick as like this kind of madman in a big house. But in fact, the reason why I wanted to call it Citizen Kubrick was because Citizen Kane starts with a whole load of boxes yeah, and people looking yeah. through boxes. But Stanley Kubrick made Citizen Kane. No, no, no. But, um, but you know, there was like the kind of image of him being this kind of right. mysterious man in a big house. And, um, and it all sounds interesting, but the documentary <laughs> didn't turn out to be interesting at all. Well, Joel's one of... Joel doesn't like the documentary. He just he, he saw it and he said it's just a bunch I, of people saying the same thing I, over I and thought, over. <laughs> I thought Sir Danley Kubrick was. I thought the Sir Danley Kubrick documentary was horrible. God, you know what? You have you know really what? lost out fair, in the tween market. I have to say, yeah, that it, you're probably not the core demographic. Yeah, yeah and you know I, what? I you're would right. say the only core I demographic. You shouldn't even watch Lolita as yet. I would oh, say. Oh, you didn't even hear that. He just said. I was nine. <laughs> you know what, Joe, you're right. Maybe about, I would enjoy it more now. You're right about a lot of things, but I do think you're wrong about Stanley Kubrick's box because I think it's it's uh, it's endured. I think it's a good but, film. Can but, I just say, oh, sorry, I, I'd really like it if when the posh man had said, couldn't you come to the house for lunch? You'd got there and the door's locked behind you and then he'd said, you'll have to solve the mystery of Stanley Kubrick's boxes or you shall die a gory death. <laughs> and there was you and like Louis Farouk. Each, each box would actually be a large box surrounded yeah. by razor wire He's got the, that like, at any point. Investigative journalist documentary <laughs> makers all in a room and if they don't solve Stanley Kubrick's tomb secrets... And then at one point, A.A. Gill attacked John Ronson <laughs> and he just says, I just wanted to find out what it was like to kill a man with an enormous phallic statue that had been used yeah. in a clockwork orange. I never saw that, but I kept on finding stuff from the, from the movies. I mean, I found oh. a box, I opened a box one time and it was just filled with paper saying, all work and no play makes Jack a dull oh boy. Oh my God. Yeah, That's seriously. Amazing. And then I opened up one time and, and, and uh, Ryan O'Neill's head was in there. And, um, Who's Ryan O'Neill? No, no, no. So it wasn't Ryan O'Neill's head. It was, um, it was uh, the head of the sniper from Full Metal Jacket. Oh, really? Um, yeah. But oh, Full Metal Jacket's a great film. It isn't is it? a great film. But uh, <laughs> you're, te- you're technically too young to have watched that film. Oh no, I'm not. Um, I'm not. It's a regret. It's a regret. But I. Um, <laughs> uh, Actually, you'll be fine now. But Christian- when you're 25, you have nightmares. Believe me. <laughs> but Christiane Kubik, just as I opened the box and pulled out the sniper's head. Uh, Christiane Kubrick walked past um, and I said I've just found a head and she said is it Ryan O'Neill's head and I said no it's the sniper from Full Metal Jacket and she said but but she wasn't beheaded she was just shot and I said I know Diane Abbott was looking through the window (laughs) and frankly my reputation's worse than it ever was they obviously at some point had decided to behead the sniper but thought it was too um, too too gruesome oh no you told me what happened about um, how the Wait, what happened? It was How the, the lady got too afraid of seeing her 
seeing her die. Apparently, yeah, the, you're right. I'd completely forgotten about that. She freaked out. The act, the, the actor who played the sniper at the end of Full Metal Jacket, completely freaked out. Yeah. It's, it's not when you see her die. Yeah, I totally forgot this. When you see her die in the film, it's not that great. She's sort of it's, she's kind of slightly overacting and she's kind of shaking on the floor. Um, and you're right. Tony Fruin, who was Kubrick's assistant, told me that the reason why was that Kubrick allowed her to watch. Her, her death, you know, in in the first take, and she completely freaked out and and refused to do any more takes. Well, if I was that actor, I'd be freaked out. I mean, mm. you know, I I wouldn't like to see myself die. It would look too <laughs> real. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Robin, so why are you against Starbucks? I'm not. You know what? I'm not against. So I don't mind. But annoyingly, we've run out of time. But that was a very good turnaround. Yeah. We have got. Uh, so and I'll tell you what, Joel. What I've got for you is from this book, Myth of Rationality. I haven't finished reading the first chapter here. I don't think it's going to make it through. But it's from the science of the mind from Plato to Star Trek. It's good. But I've got other books to cover it. Then the Greeks discovered mathematics. In the clarity of geometry and logic, philosophers found a reassuring certainty. It seemed that mankind at last had pierced the confused surface of reality to see the clockwork precision that lay beneath. Remember that, Joel, as you fear mathematics. Thank you very much to John Ronson, to Joel Ronson, to uh, Josie Long. And uh, that was the end of uh, Robin and Josie's Utter Shambles. You've been listening to Robin and Josie's Utter Shambles, brought to you by Comedy Central. This podcast was produced by Adrian McKinder and edited by Mike Pell. For more podcasts and loads of other stuff, visit comedycentral.co.uk and you can now get all of these podcasts on iTunes.